garage sailors in the room. You're, you're an admitted garage sailor. We have a few, a few of you. You are the people that on a spring Saturday when it's beautiful out and you could sleep in and do whatever you want, you are up at 7 in the morning going over to the neighbors' houses looking over what they have deemed to be no longer useful. You are sorting through their trash to pay them money. No. Now, you can tell my, maybe my callous take. I'm not an avid garage sailor. But I, un- I do understand the principle that one man's trash can be another man's treasure and that over the course of, of time, actually, Amanda has brought some wonderful things home, wonderful magical pieces home uh, when she goes out garage sailing. We have, we, have, we have the chair that I sit in in the green room. Yeah, I sit in that one. And uh, she's brought home sports equipment. She's brought home books. And she's no doubtedly saved us a few bucks here or there with her tireless efforts of garage sailing. But nothing to the extent of a person who was garage sailing two years ago on a Saturday morning, just like many of you have been, in Vancouver. She was going through this garage sale, these items on for sale, and she saw some, some prints that had been framed. And they were, and they were nice prints, and Gabe's going to throw up a picture of... It was, it was a work by, uh, it was worked by Tom, T- Tom Thompson and Frederick Varley, and if you know Canadian art history, those are part of the group of seven and some of the most famous Canadian painters. And, uh, I guess Tom Thompson was working with them. He wasn't one of the group of seven. But these, but these prints had been framed, and they had probably cost a few hundred dollars to, to frame them. And she was selling them for $100, and the person said, okay, I'll take them. And so then she went to look and see what they were worth and see if they could be authenticated. And both pieces turned out to be original art pieces that had been sold at this garage sale, both valued at over half a million dollars. And she, she had spent $100 for something that was now worth $1.2 million at the garage sale. So next Saturday morning, I know you're going to be out there, right? You're going to be, you're, you're going to be looking, looking through, looking for um, old stuff that people may be giving away that might have some value. And I, I, Amanda, I would be so happy. If you brought home a chair that was worth half a million dollars, I would be just thrilled. But it, it's, good to, it's good to be lucky, right? Sometimes, sometimes we're just lucky. Just by, based on any, it, it's, it's, it's not a matter of anything we've done. We've just gotten lucky and we've come into something that has true value. And in fact, you may be in a lucky chair this morning. I don't know if you're sitting in a lucky chair, but if you reach under your chair, you may have, we have put uh, some gold pieces that we've mined. We have mined gold pieces out of, uh, out of uh, we went, yeah, we, we went into the mountains and we mined gold pieces. And <laughs> you may want to get that piece authenticated before you, before you leave today, but that, that might be worth a million dollars. I'm not sure it might be worth 30 cents. It could be, it could be worth nothing. But um, before, you, before you book your trip to Hawaii, make sure you've got authentic gold there. Don't go on to uh, Travelocity right now on your smartphones. <laughs> but we're starting, we're starting a new series called Authentic. And for the next six weeks, we're going to be in the book of Romans. And those chapters, uh, those verses that Joe just read, that's where we're going to stop. And we're going to look at what value there is when we live authentic lives. And specifically in this passage, it's talking about how to love authentically. And what we know is that we live in a world that isn't necessarily 
always authentic. And you can reach down and get a piece of gold that's, no mo- that's just really, really bad chocolate. Or you could reach down and find a true piece of gold that would have value. Do anybody, anybody love Dairy, Dairy Queen? You're a Blizzard fan? You know the... Anybody been to Dairy Cream on Lakeshore Road in Mississauga? That's it. Some of you got your hands on that. We were biking there yesterday. There's, there's Dairy Cream, and you go in, you're like, I'll have a blizzard. No, that's called a tornado, actually. <laughs> like, wow, okay. <laughs> and can I, get, can I get cookies and cream? Well, you can get just chocolate chip. You can't get Oreo. We get the no-name chocolate chip. It's a knockoff. They didn't want to pay the franchise fee, so you get kind of good ice cream. It's still not bad, but it's, it's not the authentic Dairy Queen, and I bet if they turned it upside down, it would just fall right out all over the floor, so they don't even try and do that. Anybody ever been caught with a counterfeit bill? Not that you counterfeited, but yeah. Wh- what happened? How did, what did they do? Arlene, what did they do for you when you had the counterfeit bill? So they just took it. You just lose money. So you could be handed a bill and it you think's worth twenty dollars and it's nothing and they just take it out of the system. And all of a sudden something Yeah, I got a hundred dollars US bill at the bank. Oh gosh. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh. So $100 US, that's like a thousand our money right now, right? That's hundred dollars. Yeah. Money, something that had value, that looks like it has value, you find it has absolutely no value, right? Our world gives us all kinds of opportunity to engage in things that aren't authentic, that don't have value. Even our relationships, and this is where we're going to focus in for the next few weeks, our relationships have started to lose the marks of authenticity. And just like on the, on the money, they can look for like the, the raised pieces and there's like dots and things and they can look at. They know how to find authentic money. Our relationships have seemed to take on this, have lost these marks of authenticity. We're Facebook friends with people that we may not ever see again in our lives, nor would we choose to see them again in our lives, but we're friends with them. It's a, it's a clear label. Yeah, I'm your friend but we may not even actually have that kind of relationship. In fact, if we go a little deeper, we know that our marriages and in our dating relationships, we've started to lose some of those marks of authenticity. And we have a name on a relationship, but it's not necessarily what a relationship was designed to be. We're even going to look at Christ followers who would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm a part of a church, I'm a Christ follower, but they've lost the marks of authenticity that would say, this is what defines someone to be a Christ follower who loves people and loves God well. We're going to watch a short video, and actually this was created, and uh, it's a self-explanatory video, but they just put in the title in a Google search, or they're going to call it just a search. They're not going to give Google credit. But why are Christians so, and then they just went A, B, C, D, E, like they would put letter A, and see what came up when they said, why are Christians so? Watch the side screen. It's a powerful video for those of us in the room who would say we're Christ's followers to say, here's what people have searched about us. (laughs) That wasn't manipulated. That was when people have gone in to search about Christians, they've said, why are they so this? Why are they so that? And we're going to spend the next six weeks just doing some self-reflection and saying, Lord, is my relationship with you authentic? Is my relationship with my family authentic? authentic love? Is my relationship with people that I meet every day in my job and my friendship, do I demonstrate authentic love and Christian life as I go about my day-to-day interactions? 
most of us here this morning, whether we're Christ followers or not, we would have some idea what the expectations would be for someone who would say that they're a Christian. But it's difficult for us to live them out all the time. And Joe just read that. Thank you for reading that in in Romans chapter 12. And Paul's going through and he says, there's some ways that we should be demonstrating our love and our life as a Christ follower. And we're going to look at this morning, just as an overview, as we get into, the mess, into this series, four key indicators for authentic living that are detailed for us in the scriptures. And then over the rest of the six weeks, we'll go through each of those words and that we should be devoted and we should be hospitable and we should have zeal and be zealous. And, but I don't know about you, I don't want to be a cheap imitation of the person that God created me to be. He created me and he created you to be his very presence in this world. And I want to be that. I want to live that every day and I want people to see that. And I don't want people to see me as a gold coin that's wrapped in foil and bad chocolate. I want them to see true gold coming out. But change is hard. And the reason why that Google search happens is because so many of us, we never allow for ourselves to do the kind of introspection that's really required to say, just because I feel that I should do that way doesn't make it right. Should I actually look inside and think, you know what, my instincts, the way that I've been acting, it isn't authentic Christ-following life and love. And to love somebody practically goes beyond the point that it feels good. And if we actually want to demonstrate that love, we can't just do the things that we would naturally do or what would feel that would... It feels good to love them this way. No, to actually love somebody well often puts us in an uncomfortable place. So grab a pen this morning or open up your smartphone or your device and we're going to go and go through the four key indicators this morning as we go through this message, living in an authentic life. And if you want to borrow a copy of the Bible this morning, you can slip your hand up and one of our ushers will make sure that you get a copy to borrow and your notes will be online in the U version. Just search Portico or search Milton. So the first key indicator is this, is integrity. If we want to live authentic lives for Christ and love well, we have to have integrity. In 2002, there was a survey that was done by a group of psychologists and they surveyed Americans. So this is an American study. 90% of the respondents agreed that extramarital affairs were wrong. They would say, no, that's not what I would want to do 90% 90% of them said yes. 10% of them, they're okay with it. But of those, of those 90% that said it's wrong, get this, 45% of those admitted to having an extramarital relationship. <laughs> 90% said it's bad. 45% of them said it's bad, but I do it. How do we end up with answers like this? The way we get there is because we've allowed ourselves to live lives of compromise. And authentic living requires integrity. Remember, we're going to do some introspection this morning. Have we allowed compromise to come into our lives? There's very few of us that will knowingly act against our morals and principles. If we have a principle, we say, no, I'm not going to do that. And, they would, and we would answer this way, yeah, extramarital relationship, it's wrong. But we have such good self-talk skills, and we can make arguments to convince ourselves out of integrity. I'll give you some examples. How many of you like to obey the law? You feel it's a good thing? It, you're, obeying the law, it's a good thing? How many of you sped to church on the way this morning? <laughs> right? We say obeying the law, it's very important, but that law isn't an important law to follow. 
and we convince ourselves for reasons why that law isn't important to follow. The limit should be increased, right? When, you're driving up, when you drive up Ontario Street, and it's, and it's 60, and you're thinking, oh, no, 50, that's right, yeah, it's 50, and you're thinking, this is a four-lane road, there's no school going on, there's not even anything for part of it, it's just cleared out dirt on the side of the road, why am I driving 50 down this road as you're coming close to the OPP station, which is just over in behind Nipissing there, and, you're th- and, there's, and there's always cops there, we know this, right, yeah. But we've convinced ourselves that road shouldn't be 50. So we've made an argument and we said, I can compromise on following the law on that way. Or we say, you know what? It's late at night. There's not many people on the road. I can speed when there's no one on the road. That law was actually designed for when there's people that are out so I can, I can break the law. Or this one. This is the one I always tell Hope because she'll, she'll look at the speedometer and I'll say, oh, honey, they don't actually do anything until you're 10 or 15 over. You're okay. So when, it, when it's gone... <laughs> And I'll say that they're not really looking for somebody who's going 58 in the 50. They're looking for someone that's going 68 in the 50. So they're not going to pull us. So we compromise, right? And these are all wonderful reasons why we shouldn't follow that law. Now, this, this one isn't life or death. This one doesn't necessarily separate us. But it sets a pattern in our lives that we permission ourselves to drop our integrity in moments that matter. I had a conversation with a friend this week, and this is a friend that he actually played a key part in me coming to Christ. And, and he, was, he was talking to me about how his marriage has broken down, and, and, and so I asked him about it, because he, now he's, he's in the process of divorce, but he's already moving on, and he's got a friend, and he's started a new relationship. And I, and I asked him about it, so what about your faith? Like, how do you think God feels about this, or how does God play into this? And he says, you know, I know that God knows the desires of my heart, and I know that he wants me to be happy. And, and what I've been able to do in my next relationship is, is find a way that I'm happy and we're going to find a way to honor God. And he's still in the, going through a divorce, but in a relationship. And I think, so he's just permissioned himself, given himself a good reason to do what's wrong. And he's right. Maybe in his next relationship, he'll find ways to honor God and this will be a good Christ-centered relationship. It might be. I'm not going to judge anyone. And that's the beauty of Christianity is that we're allowed to be, we make a mistake and he forgives us and he washes away all sin and we start again fresh every day. We have that opportunity. But it doesn't mean we should permission ourselves to be, lose our integrity in the middle of it. And when we see a mistake being made, we should do everything we can to correct it. And we get caught in this trap of saying it's okay because. It's easy to have integrity when what we're doing feels, it's, it, well, it's, it's easy to have integrity when what we're doing is the right thing. So what feels right is actually the right thing. So when we give to something and, and, and or when we, when we claim our taxes correctly because we're getting a big tax return anyway, it feels good. So we have integrity. But then when we're doing our taxes, and we're actually going to have to pay a whole lot of money, and we've made some money on the side, and we're already paying money, we don't want to claim that, do we? Because it doesn't feel right, and we feel like, I've given a lot to the government already. They don't need to know about this pocket of money. It doesn't feel right to have integrity at that point. Or in this case, in a relationship, when it doesn't feel right to keep going with the way that God's called us to live our lives, and we start to lose integrity. If you know the Bible story of King David. If not, you can go back and read it. And it's, it's in the book of, of Samuel, and you can read it in Chronicles. And it's, David is, is this one who is anointed to be the next king 
of Israel. And Saul was the current king. And Saul was going after him, trying to kill him. And he was doing evil things, spreading rumors about him, turning people against him. But there was a group of people that were starting to see how David was going to be the next king and how David had a heart for the people. They knew that God had called him to be king. The people wanted David to be king. Saul was sinful and it came to a moment where Saul's life was there for the taking. David was hiding out in a cave and Saul had come into the cave to relieve himself because he didn't want to do that out in public. So he comes in and he's got his back turned to him. And David sees Saul exposed in more ways than one. You, you're just getting it now, right? <laughs> he's, ex- he's exposed. David knows he should be king. He, the people want him to be king. This is the moment maybe that God has set him up not to deal with integrity. And they say, go kill Saul as he's standing with his back to you. And David says, no. <laughs> Far be it from me to ever touch the Lord's anointed as king. And look what he writes in Psalm 41 and 12. You'll see it on the screen. Because of my integrity, you uphold me and set me in your presence forever. David understood, I'm not going to do something to manipulate life and the situation just because it would feel good. You've called me to live with integrity. And authentic living means doing what's right regardless of how life is going. There's another wonderful story of, of Job. Poor Job. Job had money and he had homes and he had a great family and he honored God and he had a good life and in the book of Job we don't know if it's an if it's an allegory if it's truth but there's this there's this story that comes and the devil and God are having this conversation and the devil says can I just test Job and see if he'll still honor you even when everything is taken from him and God says okay so the devil's allowed to break him and he gives him sicknesses and he loses his wealth and he loses his health and he loses his family And in Job chapter 2, verse 9, his wife gives him some wonderful advice and says, you should curse God and die. (laughs) Like, thanks. That's wonderful wonderful advice. But they've they've come to a point where they're saying, life isn't going well anymore. I'm not gonna have integrity. And her understanding was that living with integrity was good as long as God made life good. And when that backfired and life turned on them, Forget the standard of living that they've been working towards. But Job knew that his integrity was more important than his comfort. And to live authentically and to love authentically means we have to love beyond our comfort at some times and go beyond what feels good and feels easy. And that's what we're going to look at over the next few weeks. Because integrity in our relationships with people is more important than making sure we're feeling good and feeling comfortable. And when things get rocky in our marriages, in our dating relationships... And there's the coworker that we know, hey, I could flirt with that coworker because that would make me feel good and maybe that's a better relationship. We're going to say, look at what God says about living with integrity, with our money and in, in the way that we worship, the way that we work. How important is integrity to me? Here's what Proverbs 20 and 7 says, the godly walk with integrity and blessed are their children who follow them. Our, the way that we live out our integrity even affects our families. I remember if you went with us this week to, um, to Kelso, we went up and we hiked to the top of Kelso Mountain and we were kind of huffing and puffing at the top, but we got, to, we got to look out over the beautiful views and there was, um, what kind of birds were they? 
Turkey vultures. Yeah, there were turkey vultures that were, that were flying. And we're, so we're over top of the birds. That's how high we were. I don't know if you've ever been up there, but it was beautiful. And when we were, when we were coming into the park, there's a pay station. And we came into the park at, uh, I don't know, 6 o'clock. And the pay station closed at 5 o'clock. <laughs> and there's a lovely little sign there that just says, just drop your money into an envelope and pay. And w- if you don't have a little tag from the envelope, your car could be tagged or ticketed. <laughs> and, we're, and so Hope said, Dad, what are we going to do? <laughs> and we, I, I don't have exact change. I don't have exact cash. And it's one of those moments where you go, does, is the $12 to pay to get in more important or is teaching my child a lesson of integrity more important? So we're shuffling through getting toonies and, get, and putting, putting things in where it's, you know what, it's, a, it's only $12. But at that moment, I thought, let's teach Hope a lesson of integrity. It's a small price to pay for that kind of a lesson. And that's what living with integrity, that's why it matters. Well, authentic living is more than just integrity. It also means living a life of purity. We have a few couples, I'm not sure if anyone's here this morning, they're getting married uh, in, the next, in the next coming, coming months. But if you think back to if you're, if you're married, guys, think about how important was the purity of the diamond of, or that carrot when you bought that ring? How important was that purity? Would they have been happy with a cubic? Yeah, <laughs> very, yeah. That was not Gavin who answered. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you had given them a cubic zirconia masked as a diamond <laughs> how happy would they have been if it wasn't a pure rock see when it comes to our finances we're extremely interested in what kinds of other materials are present in that shiny rock we've got a picture of pure gold bars and and to create these gold bars they have to be melted down and all the iron is taken out of it. all the other impurities are gone and then they're formed in these pure gold bricks which were and that's that's where that gold came from underneath your chair this morning <laughs> right from there they're labeled as pure we know that that's got value and when it comes to when it comes to money and rock we're very concerned what else is present right in fact, Scripture makes reference to the refining of human beings, much like the process of gold being refined. In James chapter 1, verse 27, where we're reminded that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. How concerned are we about living a life that doesn't have the impurities in it? the impurities that are really common in our world that easily get in. Just like when that gold is mined, there's impurities in it just because of where it's been and how it's been formed. It occurs naturally. Our lives have impurities that occur quite naturally. But if we're not okay with it in our jewelry, I should hope we're not okay with having a flawed life. An authentic Christian living should mean that a person could hear us talk And they would hear that it sounds differently. And they should see the way that we interact and the way that we go about entertaining ourselves. And they should be able to see and hear that we've made a choice to get rid of impurity in all areas of our life. And it's not, the, it's not that using different kinds of language or entertaining ourselves with something that would be not necessarily described as pure. That's not going to make us unable to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
That's not what it's about. It's not a salvation issue. But the question is, why would we choose anything that would be impure? Why would we choose to have those things occur in our lives? Some things we do for God because we say we admit that we're sinful and, and, we, and we confess that we need his, uh, his forgiveness and that Jesus paid that price. That's what we do for God. But other things we do for the community around us that sees that, that there's purity in our lives. And that video that we just said, why are Christians so blank, blank, blank? You know what they're asking? Why is there impurity in the lives of people that claim to follow Jesus? And it's not that those things, like I said, it's not that those things separate us from God permanently because there's always forgiveness and we know it's an ongoing relationship. But the impurities that we allowed in our lives make people look at you and I and say, that's not authentic. That's foil-wrapped chocolate. And later in James's text, he reflects we just read that the religion that he accepts as pure and faultless is one that's kept from being polluted by the world. Then James goes on to say, he says, how come there's blessings and curses that come out of the same mouth? And how come there's light and dark that's invested in the same life? It shouldn't be this way. And in 1 Timothy 1.5, it says, the goal of the command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. An authentic Christian living is one that is rooted in purity with a pure heart. It's a heart that's focused only on honoring God. And when we start to indulge in things that we just like, that, that maybe don't honor God, it smacks of selfishness. And it's when we start to lose that purity. Scripture said that our love for one another would be the thing that sets us apart. And we're going to look over the next six weeks and say, how do we love each other with this pure, authentic, kind of love? Let's keep moving on. We've got integrity. We've got purity. Another mark of authenticity in our lives is being trustworthy. When you go to a mechanic, if your car's not working, my little, oh, my engine light came on yesterday, and I thought, oh, no. That's, gonna, that's a few hundred bucks just to bring it in and have them reset the code, even if it was just one thing that misfired. But if I have to get something fixed, you know this, right? When you go in, they say, so here's the Mazda part the OEM part, the original equipment manufacturer part. And then what do you have? You have the aftermarket parts. And they look the same, right? <laughs> the only difference that we can see when you're making a choice of what parts you're going to put in the car is that that one is going to be $800, the original equipment part, and the aftermarket part is going to be $600. And you say, why would I choose <laughs> the more expensive part when I could go with the aftermarket price? And we're forced to choose this. We're, we're saying, how much am I willing to pay because I know that that part is trustworthy? And how much am I willing to risk because that other part may not be trustworthy? And when it's something like I, I, my, my iPhone cable, I, I left it at the cottage last summer. It's completely gone. And it's just the thing that charges my phone. So I went in and the Apple cord was $20 and there was a deal fine for one that was $3. <laughs> and I said, and I was like, do I want the original part or the aftermarket part? And I went, Apple iPhone cord, $3. So I got it. I plugged it in. The first thing that when I plugged it in, it said, some functions 
<laughs> will not be supported with this cable. <laughs> Wonderful. So I got, I got a part that wasn't trustworthy and it let me down, right? And it lasted about six months. And then Amanda and I last week, we were out, we had to buy the $20. So, and I went to the store, same question presented to me. Do you want the aftermarket part or do you want the original part? And I said, I want the original part because <laughs> I'll be back here in six months again if if not, so I paid $23 instead of just paying $20 the first time. Now, with an iPhone cord, it doesn't really matter because it was just a phone and I was able to get by. I hope that when we're choosing our brakes and the things that save our lives and that we get out onto the highway with, I hope we make sure that we get the original part or that at least we've done our research and we know this aftermarket part is actually a trustworthy part and we're taking a calculated risk. But here's the truth. The cost of the genuine part is often greater than what we're willing to pay. And the cost of genuine living is sometimes greater than we're willing to incur. We'd rather give the aura of reliability and not really incur what it would cost us. We're experts at discovering reasons to become unreliable. Consider the life of, Jesus, of Judas. Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, He left everything to follow Jesus for three years. He turned his back on his religion that he had been taught was right. He turned his back on the Pharisees. He turned his back on his family. He turned his back on living his own life. And he said, I'm following Jesus. And then something along the way said, "Mm, I don't like where this is going. (laughs) This is costing me a lot. People People are saying that I'm following a, like a cult leader. People are saying that he's taking our whole, uh, everything that we've been taught in our society and he's totally leading people astray and he's actually a heretic. I don't like where this is going and I thought this was going to be one thing. And so in that moment, he decides the cost isn't worth it anymore. And he became completely unreliable and was the one that turned Jesus over to the Pharisees. He chose compromise And I know that he would say it was a valid reason that he made that decision. And living authentically for God means being trustworthy even when it's inconvenient, even when it's difficult, even when we don't understand how it's all going to work out. Here's what Matthew 5 and 37 says, and we read it in the message, a beautiful translation. It says, let your, just say yes and no. And when you manipulate your words to get your own way, you go wrong. (laughs) When we're going to do something, if we're going to follow Christ, it's, yep, I follow Christ. Not when it's good for me or not when I understand why he's asking me to do it that way. I just say yes. When the Canadian Standards Association, you know that stamp you see on things, the CSA, they put their stamp on a product and they say, you can trust this. It's not going to lead you wrong. Rudy, he does that for our meat. Rudy's one of the meat inspectors. And he says, when I put my stamp on that, you know that you can trust that meat. And when a Christ follower says, I'm following Christ, you can trust me to love you well, we should be equated with the same kind of authority and trustworthiness that that stamp has. That's the kind of life that I want. That's the kind of life that I'm aspiring to be. That's not the kind of life that I know I've lived up until this point, but that's what the goal should be. We've adopted a mindset that says, when things get hard, it's okay to make a change and just be self-serving for a while. But here's what Proverbs 12 and 22 says. He delights in people who are trustworthy. And then in this series, Paul's letter to the Romans, it's going to challenge us 
to take a hard look at the kind of commitments that we've made to Christ, to our loved ones, and to the world. We're even going to look at how we commit to one another in the church. And this week in your, in your CLGs, you're going to study the story of Ananias and Sapphira who decided they would rather appear to be trustworthy and reliable than actually follow through on what they said that they would be. And they had convinced themselves that keeping up the appearance was m- better than actually following through. And we should be able to trust one another in this community and in our families. And it means that we're being committed to this meeting the spiritual needs of each other and of our family and doing what God's asked us to do and being who God's called us to be. And as we close this morning, I want to look at the last mark of authenticity that Jesus taught us. And it's the trait that he embodied in order to teach us about authentic life and love. And that's this, it's humility. Jesus, son of God, being God, he was born into a borrowed manger, not his own bed, It wasn't a semi-private hospital, which we would complain about when we have uh, a semi-private hospital room. That's what what we would want. We're like, oh, I wish it was private. He's born in a borrowed manger. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, not a personal plot, which we find to be overpriced, right? And in Philippians 2, it says that he was in very nature God, but he never considered equality with God something to be obtained. So he humbled himself to a cross. He died on a cross and he embodied complete humility in order to communicate to you and I authentic love. And a truly authentic Christ follower demonstrates love and humility. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. I've said this a few times, but you know, scripture is never meant to shame us. So if we're in the room this morning and we feel like We've done something wrong because we've heard, you know what, I haven't always acted with integrity. I, I've, I've slipped in the compromise. I've allowed impurities to come into my life. Maybe I'm not actually as trustworthy as I'd like to be. These, when we read these scriptures, we're not called to feel shame. But we are called to be challenged, to be different as of today. And we are called to say, Lord, I'm going to submit my life and my will to you every morning so that maybe I would be different. Look what it says in Psalm 25, 9. He guides the humble in what is right, and he teaches them his way. And this morning, Heather's just going to play softly, and here's my challenge. Would you consider really quietly and softly at your seat this morning, is the Holy Spirit, God's active voice who's present in our midst. He says when there's at least two or three of us, he's there. He's the only, he's, it's, it's, it's what we sense inside of us, the voice that we hear. If you're not familiar with responding to the Holy Spirit, as you quiet yourself right now, and we pray that only God's Spirit would be, would be speaking to us. We're going to ask that, Holy Spirit, is there something in my life that you want you want to change this week that you want to identify this week and say this is an area that i'm just going to call back to authenticity so that when the world looks at you so that when i look at you i see that's a true christ follower so i'm going to ask that we just close our eyes and we consider this morning what might it be that god's asking us to live differently
perfection because <laughs> we can't be perfect. But it's by your spirit that we're made perfect. And in your word, when it says, be perfect as I am perfect, what you're asking us to do is submit every moment that we can. At all times, you say, Lord, help my thinking be your thinking. And in the quietness of this room this morning, we believe that you're speaking to us. And you've laid... We're not going to change all at once. Change is hard and change is a process. But Lord, there's one thing we can commit to changing today. And so, Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit challenge and convict us, whether it's in an aspect of purity, an aspect of integrity, an aspect of humility, or even reliability, whatever it would be, Lord. I pray that we would go and live differently. It's the reason why we come together is to be challenged by each other, to love one another well, to, to hear your word, to engage in worship and experience your spirit and so that life would be different, and that, that people's eternities would be different. So God, I pray that as we make a change in our own walk with you this week, that it would affect somebody else's life and that they would come to know you because of a change that they see in us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this book in Romans that we're going to study for the next couple of months. And um, I pray that it be life-giving, God, that it not be a heaviness on us, but it be true life that becomes alive in us and that it give us your joy and your strength to go and do and be the kinds of authentic Christians that you've called us to be. And that so when people would search and say, why are those Christians, it wouldn't say unlike Christ, it would be like Christ, God. Why do they love so well? Thank you, God, for the way that you are speaking to us this morning. And we ask that wherever we go, whatever we do today and this week, it would point towards you and we would affect um, good for your kingdom. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.